It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner, joined by Chad Brendel of BearcatJournal.com and Rick Roaring from MusketeerReport.com. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast, the college basketball edition, brought to you by Joseph Infinity of Cincinnati. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Chad Brendel from Bearcat Journal and Rick Boring from Musketeer Report, uh, who also went up to the NKU game on Friday on kind of a, a lost weekend for, for teams other than Kentucky. I quit. Um, so we can actually talk positively about Kentucky for the first time in a month. We I can. Think. They're, they're, they're coming. They are they're the most coming. positive Look, thing we've got to talk about in told this you podcast. There was upside. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, may, should we start? <laughs> no, we're not going to start there. Let's start uh, with the most recent game, UC's loss at home to uh, to Wichita. And kind of really uh, the last two two games in general, because we didn't get a t- chance to talk about the, the Houston loss either. Um, the Houston loss was more – Honestly, the offensive side of the ball, and I thought I thought today was a little mixture of both, if not leaning more towards the defensive side. I think the overriding thing, Chad, is, and I hate to do this, and I'm going to sound like a UC basher. Um, I have my doubts now, and it's probably not. It's fair. fair. It's probably not fair. No, it I, is fair. I have my doubts now. It is fair. The four best, the four biggest games they've played at Xavier, Florida on the road, Houston on the Last road, two. Wichita State at home. They're 0 and 4. So if you don't have doubts right now. I, I have to question you. Um, you have to have questions right now because in this the, these, these last two games, and, and Houston, you guys heard my tone. I, I was concerned about mm-hmm. that game. What, what we didn't talk about, and I, I totally dropped the ball on this, is Houston was sixth in the country in, or eighth in the country in defensive efficiency at home. And it showed. They completely – they pushed UC around. They were more physical. They were the bully. I, it, I don't think it's a matter of officiating. I know the officiating was talked about because it, it basically – I think UC hurt itself a little too in that they game. They did. But I, I think they let Houston take them out of – who they were and what they wanted to do, which had tip to Houston. And I said this on Sports Authority um, on Sunday night. The problem for me is you played a Houston team that knew if they won that game, they're in the NCAA tournament. And they, and they put the final nail in it by beating Temple at Temple and knocking them baby. Beating the hell out yeah. of Temple. Yeah. Um, they were in the tournament for all intents and purposes. Wichita State hasn't had the type of season that – Many thought they would have. At least their fans who thought they were a national championship <laughs> I, contender. I've got, I've got some juicy stuff okay, here for right. you as well as we get into talking about. And there was there was an incident. I saw as they were going to commercial, and I was wondering about that. There well, was let's, an let's, incident. Let's wait about that. Let's wait on that. Okay. With with somebody's wife again, again, who made a scene with a national reporter in the sauce a little. I don't know the national reporter that she made a scene with yes. before. Yeah, there was an incident. Nice. Um, but those two teams were, were played hungry, played desperate, and UC played comfortable. They played like they thought it, they, they were going to just show up and win. And that is a concern because it, I don't know if it's a matter of buying into your hype. I don't know how much of it is not being tested enough because the conference. I, to, to me, that's I, I the think, biggest see, thing. I, I, I do too. I, 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 like, I think we saw that against Xavier and Florida, right. and they corrected it against UCLA and, and Mississippi State the following two games. But then we've also long, acclimated at that point. Yeah. You played two games in a row right. that tested you, and exactly. you were ready for it. We've had a long stretch at yes, that and, point in time. And I think what, if we're going to go down that road, I think what hurt them, the injury to Taco Fall, because the, the game here against UCF, if Taco Fall plays, it's going to be closer than 37 points or whatever it was. 
And then yeah, SMU. And then you go to SMU without Shake Milton and Jare Foster, and you beat the hell out of them. And you have two games where you should have been tested coming into this two-game stretch, and they weren't even remotely tested. They, it was blowouts. It was Cruise City. So I think that factors in some, but you have to have doubt now. I, I mean, I, I don't know how you don't because now you're you're definitely off the two line, and I don't know that you can get back there. I think it would be almost impossible to get back there without – Without winning out and, and winning, winning the, the conference, conference tournament. Yes. Well, the, the finals aren't going to matter. So you're going to have to win out final. and get to the final. And I don't. It's it's going to be really interesting to see what the the selection committee does with both teams' resumes. But we're on UC right now. I I wonder right now what do they do with them, assuming they beat Wichita State at Wichita State, which is not going to be an easy task. Right. I'll be honest with you. I, I think that. you beat Wichita. Wichita, you stay on the three line. I really believe that. Probably, but I don't. I don't know that you can get back to the two now. Right. But I mean, I, it, honestly, it's hard to say though because Purdue's in free fall. Everybody's in free Mich- fall. Michigan State had to have the comeback of comebacks to the biggest comeback in college basketball yeah. history. Like yeah. everybody's in free fall, right? Like we'll get to Xavier, and that's it's helping them, right? So. I don't know. I, Auburn losing their big guy. But, but, but that all this aside, resume-wise. Yeah, everything, I think all that the, aside. The, the fear is the next test you face will be the second round of the NCAA tournament, whether you're a two-seed or a three-seed. You're playing probably a seven or playing a uh, playing and, a six. And go look at the, the, the seven, I, six, seven. Six line right now. And, again, this is bracket matrix, and it's, this is conjecture. It's, it is what is Oklahoma, Kentucky, Arizona State, Creighton. <laughs> the seven line is Nevada, Alabama, Missouri, and Florida State. I'll take Florida State and, and Nevada. That six line, that's not ideal for the Bearcats. And you know, you know exactly what they're going to do if UC and Kentucky are available to pair Oh, no up. doubt. No doubt. I mean, that's an easy choice for the committee. They've shown that in the past. Yeah. Which I, I actually would, I would take that over like an Oklahoma or somebody that is very good offensively. Um, but... This team right now is not playing to their identity. They're not playing to their talent level. And they're leaving a huge question mark in how good are they? Because now we truly don't know. We truly don't know because the four biggest games are 0-4. Yeah. And that's not a good place to be. It Valentine's Day has passed. We're on to the back end of February and, and, and let's face selection it, is go, coming up in three weeks. Go lose to Wichita, Wichita, and losing the quarters of the of the American tournament. I mean, they're not going to lose in the quarters. I don't think the they American are either. But, but I'm giving you, bad but case. maybe the semis. Yeah. Because now, I mean, if you know, if you're looking at a semis three, to Houston, if you're looking at a three seed, you're looking at Houston or Wichita in the in the semis, right. and it's frustrating because I I think this team is better than what I, we saw this and, week. And I, 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 but I, now I, I don't. I, know. I do too. But now I don't know. But now I don't know either. And that's fair. I think that's 100% fair. Right, let's nitpick. Go ahead. I, I was going to say, I think the Houston game and today's game against Wichita State were very different. Yeah. So oh, no question. Completely different. I, I would feel a lot better about the performance you saw against Wichita State. There's nothing – there's no shame in that. It's frustrating because it's another missed opportunity when you had already missed the three At before home. that. But – to me, it was like UC played okay. They didn't play their best. They played okay against Wichita State today, and Wichita State played pretty well, and it was a close game that came down to the final. No no shame in that one. The Houston game is where it's like, you know, granted, I was wrong. Clearly, Houston can beat that UC team, but it's not because they were explosive offensively. UC's defense held them in check, and UC couldn't do anything it wanted to do offensively and played, honestly, terribly I down the stretch too. in that I, game. I did, too. This, I would have been really just arms out and says, defense is the issue. 
Like, defense and toughness is always the issue. And it's like, dude, you held them to a point per possession or right under that. Like, that's not the issue in that game. The issue is, he says... I think that was a small snippet of, of the other point he was making, which was he knew offensively coming in that that defense was going to bully them and push them around. Yeah, but then his argument is... it's. But that doesn't make it bad defense. His argument is that it was bad defense because they gave up two open threes well, at the end of the game. His you, argument is you're going to have to win the game with defense because Houston you, was going to be physical and push you But around. you can't play on the road against a team that you are – you have made the statement multiple times that that team makes shots in their home building at, at an absurd rate. You can't play for two possessions saying, oh, we gave up threes and that was the difference in the game. You can't play for two possessions. We say that about Virginia all the time. This is, and Rick and I actually talked a little bit on Friday because um, I had to call him about something else, but we talked about that game a little bit for a couple minutes. And this is going to sound even more ridiculous after today. I watched Kane Broom today, and it makes me go, how did he only play six minutes on... That game was too physical for him. He, like, they tried uh, but... to insert him. He got pushed around. He, got, he committed a foul on a three on a late closeout. Does he close get pushed around the open floor if you push? Yeah, probably because Rob Gray's just as athletic and, and slippery and quick as him. So I, I mean, I, I get like the, the the questioning of that, but I didn't like what I saw from him in the six minutes he was in there. And, and I and I certainly understand the matchup is totally different, and I, I agree with that part of it. But I also think there's a certain aspect of this to change. Of, this has been the whole year. Like this isn't those. It was just those two games. It's been a whole year thing where. He hasn't probably gotten enough minutes in a lot of different games, and it's gone from one one game he's a total afterthought and just a guy getting a few minutes off the bench to the next game he's a significant portion of what they want to do. Oh, he was key in, How, in, in coming back today. They Huge. get blown out if he didn't right. play and, well. And to me, I think he needs to be a big part of what they do, but how do you ever become that if your playing time is always going to be taken away from you and it's inconsistent? My, and, and I would even say I'm okay with certain matchups if you've got to k- take Kane Broom off the floor, but why... What does Justin Jennifer bring you as a two-guard? When he's in the game, they slide him off the ball, and now you have a 5'11 two-guard who can't score, and the other team doesn't even guard. You said 5'11. <laughs> yeah, that's being generous. That's be- For, By three inches. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you, Rick. It, it, it is a bit frustrating because you know he can can change things up. But it, it was like Kyle Washington today. Like Everybody wanted Kyle Washington in because he could have given you more offense. But... Wichita State was abusing him defensively, and that to get to the defense, I thought they abused the press for for the majority of the game. I thought that led to some open looks at times too. A little bit, not not as much as if you would have the the the, the whole idea of the the press was not giving them twenty seven seconds to pick you apart to make them slow it down a little I bit. I thought they did a pretty good job at times throwing right through it, right over it, and getting a wide open three out of the corner. And it it was like. They it, did a little did, bit in the first half. But good teams are going to do that occasionally. Yeah. Like it, to me, the, I just the think that worked. I, I, I thought I, so. I didn't. I, I didn't think it, it. It changed really anything. But other than the end of the game when you got the turnover to cut it to two. I think you'll agree with me on this. The teams that are able to beat that defense are the teams that utilize the switch and stay with it and attack the switch. Because and they were setting that screen pretty dog set high. the screen get the guard on the big right, right. and make the play with the guard on the big coming downhill well, well, coming mean, downhill even just think about when uh, Shaq Morris got Jacob Evans switched on yeah. he walked him all the way up to the free throw line and just let him throw a little lob over the top right. so he could finish on, on I a mean, play which he was in the lane for seven seconds but yes that is true <laughs> but but I mean like you're right they they do manipulate the the switching defense find the switch they want to attack and then they go attack it's what it. Xavier does when yeah. UC plays the matchup it, 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 they manipulate the switch and. Wichita State, I thought, was very good at it, and and that's where 
you wonder how much like we talk, we've talked about a couple teams like getting exposed and the book is out and you want Houston did it and and got the bigs on the wings and got the bigs on the guards and made some plays now Wichita did it how much you know our team's going to start looking at that and saying maybe that's the way that we need to attack this Cincinnati defense because yes it's you know Gary does a pretty good job and and it helps having Landry Shamit because Landry? Yeah. I retired no, I retired the Larry thing like three weeks ago. <laughs> he, he's earned his respect now. Yeah. The, the, fr- the rookie hazing is over. Okay. I, so, uh, you know, you, you put Gary on Landry Shamit, and that's advantage Wichita State, and they took advantage. Of, like Just like when when Kane got going, they were putting Fran Camper Reeves on Kane. It's like, Go. Go. Like, it, it was do him, was basically the play call. And, and get to the lane, get the layup, get back down the floor. But it's they're just in a frustrating spot. And we'll see. Like, we'll see if they've got great senior leadership from, from Kyle Washington and Gary Clark. We'll see it shine through over these next four games down the stretch. And if they don't, it'll be abundantly clear because they'll – for sure drop the Wichita State game, and I could see him maybe struggling at Tulane on their senior day. Um, Tulsa's interesting because they're one of those weird teams that they, they'll they have three games where they're okay, and then they'll jump up and they'll almost beat Wichita State. Fourth in the league now, I believe. Right? Yeah, they're fourth yeah. in the league. Like, But but they'll have like close games with ECU sure. and a close game with – Somebody they should be so, with UConn, yeah. and then they'll jump up and they'll they'll play Wichita State down to the wire. So that's a weird game for UC Senior Day on a Sunday at noon um, next Sunday. They got to get it figured out because right now they're in a bad spot. They are they are not in a comfortable spot. And I was just going to say, as far as the book being out on defensively, I I just I mean, how many I, teams can I get what you're saying, but at the same time, even if the book is out on them, if Houston and, and Wichita State, yeah, they won. But again, I'd pin the, the struggles way more on UC's inability to score offensively. Like they had another drought today where they went, what, 10 minutes almost with one basket or something like that? Yeah. Like those are their issues. They, they weren't terrible defensively today. They, yeah, like they, they won to 1.17 points per possession. You can they win that game against they a good team. They weren't great. Uh, this, they're not great they're by not. UC's standards, but we've, we say this about Virginia all the time. You can't hold yourself to those standards against great teams. You're not going to win that all the time. You have to find a way to score. What, what, I think what, the problem what, today what their, was layups. What is, their, yeah, what is their go-to What is their go when they're down, when they need something? No, that's win? that's where the, the, this is it, what we've talked about since exactly. the beginning of the season. These were two games, Houston and Wichita State, where both games were tight. Both games came down the stretch, and UC didn't have anybody that could make plays until they were down five or down seven. When that, like UC was up fifty to forty nine and gave up an eight zero run, right? And at Houston, and that you can't survive that. Like you're you're not you can't rely on miracles to dig you out of that hole. And, and again today they got down six or eight or whatever it was, and it felt like a, a immeasurable. And they almost came all the way, you know, they almost came all the way back. Well, but you had to look at a three to tie with, what, four or five minutes to go? Yeah. Well, and, and you had um, Jacob Evans at the free throw line right. to cut it to two, and he misses both free throws, right. and they come back down, and they make it six. So, yeah, we're back to that, what we were wondering at the beginning of the year, how does this team close out games? We don't know. Like, it, it's not pot, what's The only game they've closed out is Temple. 
I would be really encouraged about something we saw in the last 10 minutes of that game, though, because right up in, I think it was the under 12 timeout is when they were up on 10. that big drought yeah. um, and they hadn't scored for a while. And they had been basically doing the same thing we've talked about that I really don't like offensively, which is the dribble it up slowly, throw it in. waste time, throw it into Gary or Kyle, let them survey the defense, pound it a few times while their guy's space on the perimeter, and then you're kicking it back out sometimes with six, 14. seven on the shot clock, whatever, and with a guy who's not great at creating his own shot one-on-one. Tonight... When Kane found his rhythm out of that under 12, they went straight dribble drive motion. Basically, Cal's offense, where you have two point guards up at, or two guards up at the top, two, go, uh, two shooters in the corner, and then a p- post player in the finisher position low on the baseline. And they just, one guard would attack one on one. If he didn't, as soon as he got go stopped, next. he'd turn and pitch to the other guard who was doing a circle up. And then those the, the guys in the corner would come up and replace them. That. One, it's an offense that works really well for Kane. It's an offense that lets Jacob get downhill when he's driving. It allows, allows Cumberland to spot. It also gives you a guy like Nazir Brooks can all of a sudden be a factor as the finisher in that position because he's not a guy you throw it to on the block. What? He stinks. Oh, okay. But he's not a guy you throw it to on the block offensively. And, and, and say make anything, a play for me, right. But he's a guy that can dunk. You know what I mean? And he's tall, so you can throw it up to him on a lob. You can bounce it to him on a finisher, and he, he's at least valuable in that spot as an offensive rebounder. you got a couple shooters to put in the corners. Like... That was a look for this team that I'm not saying they're going to run it all the time, but it was at least a here's an adjustment. Pace, a change here's of an pace. adjustment, and it allowed some other guys, specifically Kane, who was playing well. It let him utilize his skill set yeah. to the best of its ability, and made two guards really guard Kane, yeah. you know, who, who weren't equipped to do so. So, from a UC perspective, I would be encouraged by that to at least say, "Well, Mick realized that wasn't working." And he went to something different, and he did change the pace of the offense a little bit. And I thought it worked; it got him right back in the game. They weren't able to finish it off, but right, you, you want me, State made plays. You want me to tell my story yes, now, or you yes, want me to no, wait? no? Go ahead and tell it now, then I'll say. Well, one, I, there was because I did see right before they went to a TV timeout. It was well, there was there was a there was a ruckus of some kind. That was the daughter. Oh, the, of Greg Marshall. Of Greg Marshall, Greg Marshall. who was. MFing UC players from behind the bench, nice, and called one of them a a B word, effing uh, B word. So that was that commotion that you saw. The other commotion was after the game. Marshall's wife walks back to like where the press area is, and there's like four or five people standing there. She's like, "Who's Pat Forty? Oh, good gosh! And everybody just kind of looked. Who's Pat Forty? And so she leaned into uh, one of the Wichita guys. Who's Pat Forty? And Forty's like, I'm Pat Forty. She walks over and she gets in his face and she goes, Keep it up, buddy. Keep it up. Wow. 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 What was she gonna do? Was he tweeting about her? Again? I don't I don't think he did. I haven't looked. I don't I think he kept it off the record. Well, I was wondering if maybe he was tweeting her in the game about her, if she's still mad from last year. Probably. Wow. I'd I'd have to go back through his timeline, but that was uh Post game that I got, keep it up, buddy. Keep it up. was looking for Rick Roaring. He's talking bad about Wichita in the year. Which one's Roaring? Wrong family. Yeah, good point. <laughs> although, although that was a show behind the bench on TV today too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it, they shouldn't allow her games. Just chill. No doubt. Basically, I from what I heard, I, I think the daughter was forever kicked out of UC games. Okay, fair enough. I, I, wait, to the point. Problem is, wait till wait till they 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 go to Wichita yeah. though. To the point, everybody there was people from UC. Everybody was walking around with their cameras, taking pictures for future reference yeah. of like she can't come in. I like it. I, I, it's, a, it's a nutty family. There's no question. Loony. Absolutely. Now 
She's attractive. <laughs> so that's so she gets away with it. She's she's um she's attractive. All right, good, good enough. Good enough. All right, well, wasn't attractive. Was it was Xavier against uh, Villanova? Oh no, it was attractive. That was the most beautiful shooting performance I've ever seen by in the my other life. by the other team. That was something. Eleven threes in the first half. Um, all right, let, let's start with this. It, it it's disappointing because you had everything going for you. Them, them in your place, them not playing overly well, you scoring the ball, all the things. I mean, you, you had all those things. But I, I'm not going to get out of my skis as far on this loss as I am over the two UC losses because I still think Xavier, based on the way everything else kind of shook out, is still on the one line as we sit today. Who bumps them from the three spot? Like, we can't find anybody to be four. Right. The fourth number one on the yeah, SRF, right, yeah. That, right. We can't find anybody to be four. So how the hell are they going to fall right. from three? No, that's my point. I, I, that's why I, I can't find anybody to put ahead of them at three. I can't either. I mean, I can't either. So that means they can't be a four, and they sure as hell can't be five because we can't get them off three. Yeah. And but, I want them off three, damn it. <laughs> I mean, you guys know, last week or the week before we were talking about it, and I was like, it's hard for me to believe the Big East would get to, I think eventually like Michigan State wins the Big Ten, and, and they get it. But like now even if that's the case, like look at Purdue. Purdue has completely fallen to the point that there's no way you can make an argument that they're above they, Xavier. They don't work their way back. Zero chance. They, no, like, even, even if things finish out. I guess like, Michigan State, in theory, could maybe work their way back there or work their way there, right? To maybe yeah, a one theory, seed? Yeah. yeah, to the fourth spot. But if you yeah. and, and also, if you're going to compare the resumes of Xavier and Michigan State, even if Michigan State wins out and wins the Big Ten Championship, I know. it's not going to be close in terms of Quadrant 1 and Quadrant 2 wins. Xavier's got like 14 already with a chance for more, and Michigan State was sitting on three as of last week. Now, that's it. You've given yourself far less wiggle room now, though, too. You can't go to Georgetown and lose. You can't maybe lose in the quarters of the, of the, of the Big East tournament. Skinny, I... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, I don't think the Villanova loss really impacts their seeding at all. Zero impact. Yeah, with the way things are playing out, I don't think that matters. But yeah, absolutely, like, a a loss to Georgetown makes things more interesting. No, no, as we sit here today, that's my point. I'm not knocking them off the one line. That's why I can't get over my skis completely. I think it's taking you, though, from cementing, without question being a one seed, to now your wiggle room isn't quite as good. But I always thought, like, if they lose down the stretch to DePaul or Georgetown, like, it's gonna be. It's gonna look really bad to the committee, just because yes. I think I don't think Xavier has much wiggle room in terms of just their their national clout. You know, I, I don't think they get the benefit and of the I, doubt I, that I some other schools legit, would. Legit, the fact of of can you put two Big East teams as one seeds, especially when one swept the other? Yeah, I, I think that's hard to do. I, I'm not telling you it's not the right thing to do. And as we see here today, it is it is the the thing to do. Yeah, at, at this point, you would have to. I mean, who is the four, honestly? If you did, who's the four one, fourth one seed? Can, Kansas. I, 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 question mark? Right. I mean, there's not really a resume that's going to make more sense than Auburn would. I think Auburn would have been, whether you like them or not, I think they would have been. Had, had, yeah, and then they lost their only really productive big man who yeah. was two and a half block shots a game. He was a huge factor at the back end of their defense, and they're not – You like that's one thing that the tournament committee has to consider is if you're, you lose a guy for the year, what is that impact on you? That's a significant impact on Auburn, especially for a team that's already so perimeter oriented. Right. No. Right. You can't put them at a one. No, I agreed. I, I but I think if they'd have won Saturday and things would have been all, I think you would have put them there today. You can't do it. Yeah. No, you can't. It, it's a mess. It's an absolute cluster. Yeah. All right. How, how much of of Xavier on Saturday is just tip your captain Nova being that good offensively, and how much of that is still this team just doesn't they they're not capable of guarding well. 
Yeah, I, th- there's definitely a combination there, right? Like, we've said it all along. Xavier's defense is not good. I mean, what are we talking, 160 uh, and, points in the last three and, halves? And I think people get that confused. Like, when I talk about the Seton Hall game on the last podcast, people are like, oh, you don't think Xavier's defense is bad? Like, no, that's not what I said. My point is, when they score 102 yeah, points and dominate well, a good it, team, that's not the time to say, oh, their defense is costing them. I think it you're talking about them. in that game, and, and you and I disagree on that because I still think 65 is a ton, but it the, is. The, the point of the pace of play kind of led to that on both sides. And when like you're Xavier up, scored 38 in the second right. half. And when you're 55. up by 25 in the second half of the game, like things you. happen and team gets high. It is what it is. That wasn't the time to complain about their defense to me. This game, I think there's a part of it where, for one – Villanova is hitting contested threes. And we've even talked about it. Like you've heard Chad say, the only thing that would really scare UC's defense is a team that hits contested threes because it's the one thing you can't really account for and take away. You can't you can guard it and yeah. they shoot it right in your face. Right, with yeah. a hand up and all that stuff and a good closeout and everything. This is That first half from Villanova, really the whole game, but specifically the first half, is why when we talk about what would you rather have, an elite offense or an elite defense, that's why I always say elite offense because you can play perfect defense and there's no defense to take away Mikael Bridges pulling up with threes while you're walking into him and essentially fouling him, which J.P. McCurry probably did on two of his threes yesterday that weren't called. Um, but there is also the aspect of, like, why were some of the guys more confident to shoot out-of-rhythm three-pointers and rise up, like Eric Pascal on one in the corner when Trayvon was guarding him, or Dante DiVincenzo with one on the wing when JP was guarding him. They're out-of-rhythm, they catch, they stare, they jab-step twice. And still go up, it's still and, time to go up. And those two guys are scared of getting dro- drove by, so maybe they back up for a second, and they rise up and hit an out-of-rhythm three-point shot, which... As a defense, if that's what you're giving up, you feel really good about it. Like, that's what you want to give up. Unless you're playing Villanova. Yeah, but, and, but, but even at the same time, like, you can't do a whole lot better than that. But Xavier's at a little bit of a disadvantage there because they have defenders that the guys they're playing against know he can't guard me off the dribble. So they so have I've that got, confidence. I've got space. I've got time. And also, you jab step him once. You're thinking, he's going he's gonna to back off me, and I'm going to rise up and hit this. You play with a little more confidence. So Xavier's poor defense does lead to that performance to a certain extent. At the same time, I mean, Villanova beats every single team in the country with the way they played yesterday. So, yeah. Jed had them beating the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, yeah, on Sports Authority. So, <laughs> I thought that was a stretch. That's a little I, stretch. I, I didn't quite agree that they would have beaten the Golden State Warriors yesterday. Maybe, but they were very good. Maybe if Andre Iguodala coached and he played the back five of the bench. <laughs> maybe. That, I mean, there's. it's like I said on Twitter yesterday. Yes, we, there are obvious concerns for Xavier's defense. That had very little do, to do with the fact that Villanova showed why they are the number one offensive team in the country. That the number one offensive team in the country that had lost two of three right. and had shot poorly in all three of those games the metrics, the numbers, anything you want says it's coming. Yeah. that It's coming. And and 11 of 19 is a little wild. Don't get me wrong. But you had to be ready for the fact that, like I said Thursday, I, the worst thing that could have happened for Xavier was Villanova got beat. Right. Yeah. Because that puts them in desperation mode and puts them as, you know, the aggressor as opposed to being the hunted. And they were really stinking. It was... It was impressive how outside of what that eight minute stretch in the start of the second half when they I thought were forcing bad threes like they were hunting them because they were so hot in the Xavier, first half. Xavier got yeah. within what five? And, yeah, and and Xavier did a great job. And then this isn't knocking Villanova. Right. Xavier did a great job taking advantage of that and and getting the game back to respectable. But I think that's one of those things that when you go eleven for nineteen, you're like we're not gonna freaking miss. I, I wish more teams would play like Villanova. Like, if they're making threes, 
Jay Wright doesn't try to throw the ball inside at all. He just says, keep jacking them. Yeah. They're worth more than two pointers, and we make them at a high enough clip. I think more teams need to do that. Like, I think Xavier sometimes, when they start shooting well, start jacking them up, shoot 25 of them in a game, you know, because they never get, they very rarely get to that 20 point mark and definitely not much past it ever. Whereas Villanova shot 36 or 34 threes or what? I think they were 16 of 34 yeah. in the game. I mean, that's ridiculous. That's a lot of threes. Yeah. And, um, and and they made a lot of them. Yeah. 16, 16. Now you've talked about this team before. Um, the last time they lost to Villanova, this team does not suffer from uh, a confidence factor. And I think maybe it's interesting to hear you talk about a senior-laden UC group that you're not sure where that is, and understandably so, to where this team's already bounced back from something like this year. They've Completely different personalities. The, right. They've, but they've already gone through something like this year. The, the back-to-back losses, the Providence, and then just getting your doors blown off of Villanova. We were all, oh, where's this team going to go? What did they do? They hadn't lost until Saturday night. Um, Do you believe Saturday shakes them at all just because it it was at home, they're playing well, it was a one chance especially for JP and Trayvon to get them in your place, or are they pretty good at just saying we're moving on to the next? Yeah, I don't don't think this shakes them or bothers them. I do think that that at Villanova situation I'm talking about is just – it's something – it's almost like an aberration. Like they – it's such a psychological advantage for it's not Villanova. Just a loss, it's just a it's a beatdown, and they, it happens every right. single time. And that's why I'm sure for Xavier fans, it's super frustrating to like feel like you have a great team. Villanova comes to your gym, and they're it's still hammer now. They just absolutely blow you out. I, I don't know what to say about that other than that sucks, and I get why fans are frustrated. At the same time. I don't tend to think it has much to say about Xavier's prospects going forward. Like, I don't think this means Xavier was going to have a chance at a Sweet 16 or Elite 8, and now they're going to be out in the first weekend. That's not what this says to me. Well, but part of it is because as we sit here right now, it doesn't change their seed line. Right. That's the other part. Yeah, and... and Didn't change anything. Something else... Other than Villanova's better. Fill them at 11. As far as Xavier's defense goes, and, and we had talked about this a little bit earlier in the year, and I asked the question do you feel like a coach can kind of scheme his way through the NCAA tournament to having a better defense than you do during the regular season? The reason I think that is because Xavier cannot play its 1-3-1 zone in the Big East, really. like Yeah, it, te- teams already know it. I mean, teams They're so already, comfortable with right. it. They know how to attack it. Right. They've seen it before. It doesn't shake them. It doesn't confuse them. They go right into whatever the offense they've put in for it, a, a and team, they attack it. A team on this, in the second round or even in the Elite Eight that has a day to prepare for that? It's a totally different it's ball game, totally and all of a sudden different. you can start mixing and matching defenses and, and changing what the other team's doing a little bit more, whereas in the Big East, they can't use that defense, essentially. And against Villanova, you can't really use a zone, period, because they'll just shoot you right out of it. That wasn't going to help at all. But that's one of the things I do think. The reason for, to think Xavier has some upside defensively in the postseason is that, is that they can use the 1-3-1, and it is effective, as we saw last year in the postseason, when teams have a short turnaround and they're not comfortable with it. Because be, because even if you know how you want to attack it, your players need to see it Absolutely. first and get used to what Xavier's rotations are and how they move within it. I mean, you've got Villanova players that have seen that seven times, eight different times, eight times now, right? Or, yeah, and they, I mean, they kill it within a few possessions every right. time Xavier throws it out there, so it's pretty much, you don't even try it at this point. But. Yep. Um, all right, let's move on to Kentucky, uh, which did kind of get off the schneid in a big way by beating Alabama. So any thoughts of them somehow sliding all the way out, which I still never believed, can, can be put to rest. But <laughs> the funny part is that's a, that's a pretty decent win. Um, it, it A great defensive effort. Yeah, it puts them probably still in that middle 6-7-ish seed line if they can, can take care of some of the business at hand, especially beating Ole Miss at home. I, I thought the one thing I was, I, I was interesting was I thought they played downhill a lot more. 
I really I thought they attacked a whole lot more. And almost like, we're going to attack, and if we miss, we're going to clean it up off the offensive glass to hell with anything else we do. And that's what their offense is supposed to look like right. with what they're running right now, which is the dribble drive. That's It's attack, attack, and attack, I attack, and get it off the glass. I, I, they settled a few times, but I, I didn't think they settled as much as they have. They played with more toughness and, and attitude yes, than they have absolutely. in a long time. Defensively, they were, especially the final five minutes, they were fantastic. And they were dominant on the glass. And I have to give credit, Quade Green did a great job on Colin Sexton. He really did. I, I'm a, the biggest Colin Sexton stand there is. I've loved the kid ever since I saw him as a sophomore uh, in high school. And he kept him from from being aggressive. Sexton, if you if you if you've watched him before, if you know his game, he loves to to get that shoulder on you. Going to, left, going left, get that shoulder on you, get fouled, go to the free throw line. The kid lives at the free throw line. Quade Green did not let him turn the corner pretty much all night. I don't think he scored in the final ten minutes. If he did, it was maybe one basket. And no, their, their offense for a lot of the first half was the pick and pop to the Reese kid, man. Yeah. Threes. I mean, that, that was a chunk of the offense it felt like in the first half. It was never but, Colin Sexton. But they were the giving it to Sexton in that yeah. final 10 minutes to it's try to should, get him sure. going. And Quade Green just never let him find any space, find any flow, and didn't foul him, which, like, right. that with Colin Sexton, that's the biggest thing. I think I've seen, I, I saw a game when he was in AAU, he shot like 28 free throws by himself. That's a, in AAU, that's a chunk. Yeah. Because they're, they're letting you play a little bit, too. It, it, that kid, that's what he does, and Kentucky kept him away from that. And I thought it was really good attention to detail, really good job executing their game plan. And and those are the type of things I think they've had problem with and, and why Cal is like sounded like he's wanted to strangle him at times. Right. Because their attention to detail hasn't been good. Maybe a four-game losing streak, and all of a sudden that attention to detail gets a little – well, a tighter. It, it, it's always easy to say, but both Avery Johnson and Cal talked about, and they used the term sense of urgency, that, that he thought they finally played with it. Avery Johnson he thought he saw a team playing with it. And that's list, listening to the scouting right. report. That's right. paying attention to the things that the coaches told you you need to do. The, the other thing, um, they survived Kevin Knox getting in foul trouble the first half and sitting with the two and, and not having his scoring ability. And then to his credit, the second half when he got back in there, he scores all 13 yeah. of his points. So wants They're to go score. When he goes. Yeah, but, but the first half they survived – I mean, he was out at what the fifteen minute mark, yeah, fourteen. It was, it was, it was pretty. It was pretty quick um, that he sat with the two fouls, and they 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 still found a way to lead at the half. They'd just been so down and out. Their body language had been bad the last few games. The guys just looked like they were lost, like they had no chance. They looked so defeated mm-hmm. in the games they were playing, and they're walking timeouts and everything. Finally, you just saw. The guys that looked like they said, regardless of what our record is or we're how going we're down playing, swinging. We're, yeah, we're going to go out and fight. And this team, when they do that, they're talented, so they're going to be in a lot of games when they play like that, and, and they're going to give themselves a chance. Again, they're not good. They're not one of the best teams in the country. I don't want them in the first weekend of the tournament. No, and, and the funny part for them in the, in the conference right now, they're tied for, I think, seventh? Seventh. But they have a chance, believe it or not, to, to still finish probably third if they can win out, now that's that's them winning out, winning at Arkansas, beating Ole Miss at Florida, at Florida, all those things factor in. But right now, Arkansas is third in the league at eight and six. You beat them and get the head to head. You you somehow finish third in the league and get a better chance in the conference tournament to make a good run. Too. I don't think seeding matters at all in that SEC. It, it may tournament. not, and you may be right you, that, you, you because probably, you probably all. are right. Three, two, one through nine. Throw it in a hat. Yeah, probably right. It, Throw it in a hat, especially right. with Auburn losing their big guy. Yeah. Um, and losing another game. So there we go. All right, Rick, you went up to uh, Fairborn on, on Friday night. Disappointing. NKU comes up uh, a couple of My favorite of picture short. of the year. 
the, the Rick Boring salute? No, not even not the salute. Just slumped shoulders, head down. Rick walking out of the Nutter Center with the wolf right behind me. Which why the why are you the Raiders with a wolf as your mascot? Yeah, I know Je, I know Jed Demusi did a deep dive on this and he got some type of answer. I I still don't understand it though. Yeah, I, I, I don't either. But it was is my favorite picture of the year. Um, after a rough Thursday night, that brought a smile on Friday. Not the because picture, NKU not, not lost, the loss, right, just, Rick's, loss, just Rick's that. misery. Um, the disappointment of it was, I, I still look at that Wright State team, and I just don't think they're great. I just don't, they're, they just don't do a ton for me. And they did it in a game where Grant Benzinger scores nine points instead of 31 like he did when, the last When time. he's not in the greater Cincinnati area, he's pedestrian. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I can't explain it. I mean, you heard me on the last podcast, which, by the way, just didn't. Abysmal podcast performance. Yeah, I mean, yeah, 0 for, I mean 4, 0 for four on games. You're gonna have to like run. We're we're gonna need some laps. Oh yeah, that'll happen. Push ups. Push ups. I hope you got. Hope you got a sundial. It's gonna be a while. <laughs> um, I'm just talking normal. Po- like it was a bad podcast performance. It really was. I was 0 for four on those picks of those games we were talking about. Um, I I'm shocked. I am shocked, and I'm incredibly disappointed. NKU. They like to play with pace. They like to get in a rhythm offensively. And what they've struggled with recently is like Milwaukee at NKU last week took them out of that, didn't let them get out in transition, and they had to scrap and claw their way to a last-second win against Milwaukee, who's terrible. And then they go to Wright State, and Wright State slows it down on them, doesn't let them get out and run, plays good defense, keeps them in front, and they get out of rhythm offensively. They go through long droughts where they don't score, and then they just find themselves in catch-up mode, and they're good enough to do that. Like, they get back in the game, they almost have a chance to win it, but you're on the road, and you, you make a uh, – they had a couple just really bad decisions down – bad decisions in terms of shots and, and passes and stuff like that on the offensive end that led to turnovers or just empty possessions with a bad shot. It, it was really frustrating to watch, really frustrating to watch. Yeah, now, now here's the goofy part to this. They, they still have a chance to win the league, um, but they also still have a fan, chance to finish third in the league. Because both Wright State and NKU play at UIC. They, have, they both have two other winnable games, so let's assume they win both. UIC beats both NKU and Wright State. They, finish, they all finish with, with four losses. I'm not sure how the tiebreaker shakes out, but I guess it's a possibility they still finish third. But it's also, they still have a chance to win the league through all of this. Yeah. I, mean, I guess it comes down to which one wins at, at UIC. Does Wright State or does, does, does NKU? Yeah, well, you're right. And I mean they're a, they're a good team obviously, one of the best team in their conference still in my opinion in terms of their talent and uh they've had a great season, but it is a little concerning what we've seen over the last week just that these teams able to get them to play at their pace and play down to their level. That's not the team that, you know, we saw at the end of last year. Why, why do you why do you season. think that is? I just think cuz their offense likes that they like to make dis- mistakes. They're kind of they're very similar to Xavier honestly watching the two teams. They they like to get out and run and they want you to trade baskets with them. They want you to make dumb mistakes as many as they're making so they can find their rhythm and get going. Cuz if the, the game gets up into like the 80s, they're really comfortable and really hard to beat. But if you play them and and, and get them down to the 60s or low 70s and you keep them out of transition from running at all, they lose their rhythm and then they start taking some bad shots in a slower game, and those hurt you a lot more. Whereas when you're running up and down the court, you can miss a shot, take a bad shot, have a turnover. The possessions aren't quite as important. Not each one is as impactful on the game. Um, on a neutral floor, though, I mean, the possibility of a, of a third matchup between the teams, and, and it is, it is true, whether anybody wants to believe it, beating a team three times is difficult. So maybe through all of this, there is an advantage to NKU if they meet again. Yeah. I, I, I think, And I think they're the better team. I really do. I, I do too. I, I just, I mean, like you watch this Wright State team in terms of their talent and what I mean, their huddles look like an NRA meeting. It's just you. I don't, I don't understand how NKU 
cannot beat this team. I really do not. Oh my they're goodness. solid, but they're just not as talented. Uh, speaking of that, I don't know how I'm segueing into that. How, how was your trip to Fairborn? Did you get treated well? I was treated excellently. We had really nice seats. Yeah. Um, Did anybody recognize you? Uh, not. A, I don't think anyone that didn't already know who I was. Right. Not an enemy yeah. camp, at least. I had a few people come up and say hi to me, but not. Uh, Jay Morrison was there. Yes. Bengals beat writer from yep. the Dayton Daily Did News. Say hello? Saw him. He yeah. was worried about you a little bit. No, he just didn't want to be on the video. Ah, he gotcha. said, "Keep me out of the video." Okay, fair enough. But fair uh, enough. how did the video work out? By the way, well, it's coming. It's okay. coming. I haven't had a lot of time with all the other games right. and, and work right. and everything, right. but it's coming. But yeah. uh, but but you're okay. You drove through the Greater Dayton area and you felt windows up. Yep, no yep. smell. No smell. Well, I mean, where did the smell start? Because you said you thought there was a place where the smell well, started. Like I said, I kept the windows up so we didn't find out. Yeah, but you, you can if you have the car vent going, it still comes oh, yeah. up. Par- parking wasn't bad. Yeah. It's not a bad arena, is it? No, it's not a bad arena. It's pretty cool looking from the outside. Not they a got bad, green not, and yellow lights going up. Not a bad area either, is it? Oh, it's a terrible area. No, it's terrible not. Spot. Which, by the way, I had someone come at me and say uh, that I was a terrible person and fan for criticizing the greater Dayton area. And I'm, and I'm like, oh, okay. So it's okay to call a person terrible, but you can't call a body of land and its infrastructure terrible. That's crossing the line. Got it. Thank you for that clear up on Twitter. <laughs> People are so... Re- 2018 is the worst. You people are so sensitive. On everything. 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 Can we, can we no, stop for a minute? No question. You know, I'm trying to gloss over it. Yeah. I'm trying to gloss quickly. <laughs> probably quick, best we trying going. to gloss quickly over it. Um, uh, do you want to touch? We don't talk a whole lot about it, but Ohio, not, Ohio State... We're, we're, we're not going to pay any attention to the funniest line that's ever been uttered in the history of this I'm, podcast. I'm trying to how he came up with that. <laughs> I, did, have you looked at their roster? Oh, my heavens. Holy cow. Uh, I do want to touch on, on Ohio State. Um, they've kind of slid a little bit, and, and it's probably not a surprise. I He really kind of held them together about as long as he could. They finally hit a tough part of I their mean, schedule. at Michigan. Right, but they kind of hit a tough part of their schedule at Penn State as well. Uh, I mean, I, I never thought they were they – were They were never going to run away with yes. the Big Ten. Yeah, and now they're – that Michigan State now has the lead in the Big Ten, for goodness sakes. Um, not Purdue. Not Frank. Purdue. Yeah, not Purdue. Uh, For I guess the, the one thing I would say is where it pertains to Michigan State, how much does – if they can win the Big Ten based on national reputation, when we start talking about seeding lines, does that move them up as opposed to if they'd have finished second or third? Uh, see, the, the difference this year is the change in the sheets. I, I, I'm with you. I still I, think name means something. Well, not if the sheet – is so incredibly right. lacking. Like it would be a different story, Skinny, if they had two or three quad one games coming up. No, you saw them get dinged. Don't. You saw them get dinged to be a three seed last Sunday. Yeah, I I just can't see a scenario where they jump up to now. Kansas, yes. If Kansas wins the Big Twelve, I think they probably get a one seed because they do have those top that top end of their team sheet. Is well, still and, really and good. And if they win the Big 12 and win the Big 12 tournament, they yeah. will also get a handful more as they go along, too. Correct. And that Michigan State, it just doesn't add up. The, it, the, the numbers aren't there to get them. Now, maybe the, the number one, two. All right. Now, I'm going to flip this again because we've talked about teams we trust. Are they back in the trust factor or are they or just. They were down by 27 to Northwestern. I realize that. No. I realize that. And did come back Congratulations for the comeback. Awesome. Congratulations. If you can fall down by 27 to this Northwestern team, I do not, I cannot trust you. Is Villanova back in the trust factor? One, 
Phil Booth comes back Saturday, yes. Yeah, that, that's the thing about them. They get Phil Booth back. They add a little bit of depth. They add one of their best defenders. They add one of their best shooters, they get a guy the, who does they get a the lot. deep and a guy that does a whole lot. Uh, yes. Th- then I start getting back to thinking maybe that's the best team in the country, and not because of their performance at Xavier, but just in general because no one else has risen up and clearly, like, I just do not believe in Virginia. It doesn't matter what happens. I will never believe in Virginia and their style. So yeah, that, kind, that kind of leaves you with Villanova, I guess Michigan State. It Like, their resume doesn't suggest they deserve it. But, like, in terms of who's the best team in the country, Michigan State, to me, is one of them. Yeah, but, you go an eyeball test. Yeah, yeah and that, I, but that doesn't mean I have to trust them. Yeah. No, no, and I totally agree. I don't trust Michigan State. I don't trust, like, I don't trust anyone in this country. I guess Villanova. They're the most consistent. Yeah. All right, Chad Brown, you got a final take? Yeah. I'm so damn tired of TV, Teddy. Look. Let it out. Let it go. Here you we go. got hate in your heart. Let, let it like, out. And this this isn't about like any actual calls he made and in the game. For those who don't know, Ted Valentine, an official who's been around for a long time, had had run-ins with probably every coach in the country, uh, did do the His Instagram run-ins with Sunday. Mick are special. For some reason, he those two. And, and I know they like they get along really well because I've seen them run into each other at like AAU tournaments and stuff. Like they get along really, real like good friend type get along. But boy, they get after each other. That part I don't have any like whatever. Why are officials insert? Why why is an official inserting himself into the game? And why if. TV Teddy is calling the game on CBS Sports at 6.30 is his, on a Tuesday. Is his personality 10 times different than if he's calling an ESPN marquee game on a Sunday where he's kind of flailing his arms and doing the, the thing you do to get truckers to, to honk their horn on the highway? He knows the Nielsen ratings, man. He knows where the eyeballs well, not, go. Nobody is freaking there to see you, Teddy. I'm so tired. Like... There was a, a point in, at the end of the game, and it, high pressure. Cincinnati's doing everything they can to come back. They've forced a jump ball. They forced a turnover and got a dunk. They cut the, the lead to two. Coming out of a timeout. Coming out of a timeout, and he comes from all the way across the court and has to have a 90-second conversation when he knew the cameras were on. Has to have a 90-second conversation with two UC guys and a Wichita State guy before the ball is inbounded. It disrupts the flow. To, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it really he, does. He did it uh, right before a foul, or right after a foul was called. Or no, it was um, – I, I can't remember exactly because it was all – but it, there's a – you know, something happens, and then he's got to stop the play and, and make a spectacle of himself. Nobody is there to see you quit impacting the flow – and the direction of the game, because you have to get on TV and, and, and make an ass of yourself, ultimately, is what he's doing, is making an ass of himself. And he's the one that invented the the, the one leg up charge call, you know, to, to make sure he get, I'm just tired of it. Like, show up, put the whistle in your mouth, call what you the see, game, call what you see, and get the hell out of the arena. I'm tired of it. It's ridiculous. Like, it, there's no point in it. What... What good does it do for the game to have that idiot showing up the kids that, that are on the floor trying to win a conference championship? And we got to pay attention to Teddy freaking Valentine? I, I'm sick of it. Drop the mic. There we go. Rick Warren, you got anything? No, I won't take away from that. <laughs> you feel good about anything on that? I know. He, he already I, dropped the mic. Okay. Like, oh, I know he did. He did. I, no, I, I agree with him on, on that topic. I, I can't stand the, the Not tonight, but the last 
big run-in TV Teddy had with Mick Cronin was one of the most inexcusable, unprofessional things I've ever seen out of referee. Yeah, he just jumped into his face when Mick was talking to his player. Ran up to him face-to-face and got in his grill like he wanted to fight Mick during a game. And it's just like, dude, I don't even care if he was yelling at you. That's totally out of line. Absolutely, yeah. But that's what it is. That was another huge game on national television where he gets to be TV Teddy... Get the hell out. Let, let me piggyback on that for a second because Huggins brought this up after his game where he was mad at officials. 30, and something, he said 36, something. What was it? 36 to 2. Two other well-known names, John Higgins and Jamie Lucky. I, I don't want to know your damn name. But Huggins said something that I totally agree with. There's Answering questions. Bring bring one of those. If there's something questionable like that. Yep. No, Make no, them no, answer questions. Now, you can't bring them in for a pr- press conference after every game because right. we'll ask about every single call, and it'll just take 35 minutes to get it done with. But when there's something like that, I mean, insane. If someone goes to the media and says, hey, we got a special request for officials, they should have to bring out officials to talk. They're getting paid to be there. A You're, lot. They're getting paid a lot. They're getting paid really well to be there. And, and, and they are adults. And we go and we make student athletes who are getting paid nothing stand in front of us and ask questions after the Crosstown shootout. We make them do it after yesterday's game when Xavier gets blown out by Villanova. Rick, they, they, they have, only brought one guy. We need more guys. And, and don't they get have, me started on that. They have an impact on the game. I mean, and they do. They do. I don't think – I don't. look, I'm not an, the, uh, enough to say that somebody – is calling fouls out of spite, or but but that doesn't mean only one time in my life if I ever thought a right. game was fixed that was UC that Memphis. Was Memphis. Um, but it's not that they don't have an impact on the game, and and occasionally you need to answer for that because the, the discrepancy on Saturday was it? Am I right? Thirty six to two, thirty four to two, thirty four to two was the free Kansas shot thirty four. West Virginia fouls. is a team that's pressing, and they are probably fouling more. But that discrepancy is insane. Did, yeah. did you see Huggins running down the sideline holding up his pants because he didn't have a belt on? <laughs> running, running, running? Like, question yeah. mark? Well, it was it, moving. for Huggins. Moving, yes. No, for Huggins, that was yeah. a sprint. Yeah, he was he was moving. It, Valentine today, Mick is standing with his his middle of his feet on the the box, box, and he's yelling at his team. and And Valentine makes a huge scene, gives blows the whistle, gives him the warning, makes it. Not over the line, standing like on the line. Makes a huge scene, makes Mick move back. Three minutes later, Mick is standing inside the box. Inside the box. His feet are not touching the line. He is inside the line. And Valentine, again, makes a spectacle, draws attention to himself, goes over and yells at Mick for standing out of the box when he's in the box and makes him go stand by his chair. Like he's a... Freaking like he's a principal. Yeah. Go stand by your chair. Give me. A, I, I'm so sick of it. Just shut up and call the game. If you could see how much activity Chad Brendel just did while use while that over that last like 30 seconds, that's the most exercise of, he's gotten in a month or long. Face was really beat red. Yeah, I'm getting, fired up about it because I'm tired of seeing it. But I also think if you made the refs come in and explain themselves, there's also be a better understanding of like yes. what they're looking for, yes. or what they're trying to call in a certain situation, or why it's hard. Yeah, why it's hard look, to do their I, job. I always like the ones where I'm coaching in a game and, and my team has fouled once the other team has fouled six times and you get to it's six to one well you know you what stop fouling I'd like my team to actually foul more to be honest with you yeah. because it means we're not defending yeah. um, well, so I get some I get some of that it, sometimes there is a discrepancy number wise well but, Xavier shot a ton more free throws than because Villanova because Villanova shot 34 threes yes correct and, and there's some of that but there's also an occasional call in a game that maybe it's explained to say listen here's what I saw 
I saw a, a block because I saw the guy move, or even today it was a moving screen or it was a legal screen on a UC player, right? It didn't, yeah. but he, and I think it was okay. It, I was, he, it was really close, but, but I I would have probably called it a foul on UC. Yeah, it was it was borderline, yeah. but it there was a slight. But there are events yeah. like that at times to say, listen, here's what I saw, and and I think you're right. I think occasionally you do get a better understanding. Also, just explain like here's the rule and here's what we're looking for. Yes. So this is how we interpret or we see yes. it, and we may be wrong, but like. Two, here's here's two, how we're doing. Two our hands job. on a guy below the foul line. We're calling it. And also, here's why our job is really hard. Like those are the best athletes in the world going up and doing something in a split second. I may have missed one. That would be a lot easier to swallow than when you just see these ridiculous personalities on national television acting like morons, and then you never hear from but them again. It, it's, it's it is a lot of the same guys, though. Of course, it is. It really is. Yeah, that's why. Like today, perfect example. Didn't have any clue who the other two guys were. I don't know who they were. And that's what you want. Right. As right. An, you don't want to recognize officials. I know when Higgins referees, I know. Higgins, I know, Lucky, uh, Ron Ripple uh, Wally Rutecki. Wally Rutecki. Shows. Uh, Pat Adams. Shows is Bush. a huge one. Shows. Shows. Yeah. Doug Shows. Yeah. He doesn't get the respect to have his name said right. Carl Hess. Yeah. Big time technical guy, Carl Hess. I think he leads the country in technicals every year. He, he once gave Mick a technical for taking his glasses off because he said it was too demonstrative. He didn't cuss at him. He didn't say a word. He took his glasses off. Bang. Shut up, you idiot. This is this is a top five podcast ref rant in the history of podcasting, it is, it, I think. It is. It is. I think it's fair. Like, I'm not criticizing him for his calls. Just quit trying to be on TV. Quit trying to be the show. No, that that's the part I totally agree with. Like, I get annoyed when fans are always like, this call, that call, we're getting screwed. There's right. a conspiracy out for us. But I do agree that there are refs that absolutely make it about themselves and just hold the game up entirely and just... They, they make everyone else on edge, basically. Yeah. Yeah. They bring a lot of drama You're into the You're waiting in, for the next time where they do something stupid. Or running up to Mick and causing a confrontation with him. Now Mick's all pissed off and he's yelling at people. Right. And like It's just the whole tone of the game changes when you start doing that stuff as a ref. I hate it. The whole thing brings me to one of my favorite Jim Valvano lines of all time. So I'll leave it with this. Where he asked a ref one time, can I get a technical for what I'm thinking? And the ref said, no. He said, well, good. I think you blank and suck. <laughs> <laughs> I like Jimmy that one. V. That's a good hey, one. one of my favorites. Yep. It's three things in life. Which is? Your family. Yep. Your religion. And the Green Bay Packers. Uh, it was one of the better 30 for 30s. It really was. All right, boys. We appreciate it very much. Calm down. I'm calm now. I, I, Ted Valentine will have the second round UC game hey, you watch. There, there, was a, there was a two-game losing streak, and I was as calm as could possibly you were. be you were. breaking it down. The Teddy Valentine thing today set me off because it's just unnecessary. Right, you see this week, by the way, midweek. When do they play? Thursday? Uh, they play Thursday, so yes, we'll have a podcast to talk about yes, it. They, yeah. they have UConn at home and then Tulsa at home for senior day coming up. All right. And Xavier's got Wednesday. Xavier's Wednesday to Wednesday, yeah. Yeah, Wednesday at Georgetown. Ooh, yeah. That's right. They got an off week this weekend, don't they? Yep. All right, boys. Uh, we'll be back. Brendel and Rick Boring. I'm Richard Skinner. This has been the Skinny Podcast, the college basketball edition, brought to you by Joseph Infinity of Cincinnati. Hey. Hey. Hey.